0: Welcome back. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord our God, we love you, and thank you, and praise you for who you are and all that you've done for us. Lord, I ask that you would truly give us the graces we need to to serve you today. I thank you, Lord, for all of the tremendous teachers, those who have helped shape and mold our faith. Lord, I ask that you would bless them for all the gifts and graces that they handed on to us. And I make this prayer in Jesus' holy name. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So, Carrie was listening to a a podcast of a worship service, and one of the things they did during the service was they gathered some of the key leaders in the church and did a sort of a live Q&A, a a live Q&A with them, um, I, who knows if the questions were planned or not, but some of those questions, it got me thinking about um, certain aspects of our life of faith, and and yesterday, Carrie and I had a chance to talk about some of those, like, towards the end of the program, we started talking about, like, what devotion do you enjoy doing the most, what devotion, and versus, um, and, and it really focused in on things like, what's a devotion, and, and what do you mean enjoy, versus, A devotion that's had the biggest impact on your life? Now, that's a really interesting question. That's a different question. Um, Last night, we went to adoration, and at an existential level, I was tired, and uh, it was hard to focus. Um, But it was really interesting because the last five minutes of adoration was really powerful. And I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but Sometimes that's literally the way it works. It's like it takes the first 55 minutes of adoration to get me in the right spirit, the right frame of mind, so that in the final five minutes, the graces that the Lord had intended have now, um, you know, had a chance to sink in, right? I had a chance to sort of clear out that tiredness, the lethargy, the lack of focus, the, uh, the distractedness, right? But just, just being there, just being there, just pressing in, pressing in. And then sure enough comes the breakthrough. And it was, it was kind of an interesting breakthrough, nothing so profound, but what happened was I began to in the last 5 minutes like very specifically like to the level of the details in my kids life the kids lives like begin to pray for them and, and it wasn't just it was like 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 a laundry list it felt it felt it that, that what i sensed was this sort of heart to heart encounter where i was I'm in the presence of the Lord, right, in the exposition of the Blessed Sacrament. I'm in his presence, and, and I'm talking to him about my kids that are there, like right in front of me. And some of the kids weren't there, but four of the kids were with me, and or five, four, four, five. Um, and, you know, it, it was really beautiful to be able to, like, talk to Jesus. Who Like, I'm in the back row intentionally, so they're all in front of me. And I'm like looking at Jesus and the kids are there. And I'm just saying, Lord, I just want you to bless this kid of mine. And and I know you want to bless them, Lord. I know. I'm, I'm not like making something up that you haven't thought of. <laughs> um, but I really want my kids here to, to know you. I really want these kids to like fall in love with you. And um, I, it was just that kind of, like, let's call it like heart to heart conversation that, I was having with Jesus. And, you know, it's not like it couldn't have happened earlier, but it didn't. It didn't. I was struggling. I was praying on my knees. I, I don't know if you do that, but when you pray on your knees, it's it's a real help to focus. And um, uh, one of the things that I've been inspired to do, believe it or not, by seminarians, is I uh, when I went to um, the uh, Bishop White Seminary here, or it's a minor seminary for, so college students, right, a minor seminary um, serving the Diocese of Spokane and other dioceses. And uh, I remember going to one of their chapel services. For, I was there giving a talk or whatever. And many of the seminarians would pray on their knees without the kneeler. The kneelers were up, and so they were kneeling directly on the floor. And, and it's just sort of a small act of penance a uh, small act of discipline, you know, sort of disciplining the body. And, and yet, I was so encouraged by it, I'm like, I'm going to take that on. And so I do that quite a bit now, um, especially when I'm in adoration. It's a great help. It really is. It's a great help. Well, I, I was also just really moved, at the, you know, in this first chunk of time in adoration, maybe the first 15 minutes or so, all my kids were kneeling, and that was a surprise to me because my kids would come in, they would kneel briefly, and then they would sit down. Well, for whatever mysterious reason, my 18-year-old decided to kneel the entire time in adoration. And um, I was I was really touched by it, and I was going to let her know that, but she asked me if I noticed it before I had a chance to say anything. Um, she never said why she did it, um, but I don't know. It was just—it was kind of moving to me that that she, you know, chose to do that. Um, anyways, it's—I uh, have just found that adoration is so transformative when your heart's open, when your heart is in the right place, when you have that sensitivity to God's word, and we just touched upon that yesterday. I Didn't get really get more of a chance to to dig into that, but I just thought that was something to. Uh, that you might be blessed by. Okay, so some of the other questions that I have, I wanna dig in with you today. Oh, and just a heads up. In the last two segments of the program, I interview uh, Mario Villanueva. Mario Villanueva, he is the executive director of the Washington State Catholic Conference. And so that's the bishop's advocacy arm in Olympia at the state capitol going around and talking to lawmakers about you know, Catholic themes Catholic positions on legislation that is there to influence them to realize that, hey, legislator, you may not want to ignore that group of folks, those constituents that are all across this state that might have something to say about what it is you are putting forward as legislation. And that's the Catholic Church, that's Catholics. Now, would it be the case, wouldn't it be the case, would it be wonderful? Um, for us to truly be salt, light, and leaven in the world by exercising that role that is ours in the public square and advocating, what a beautiful word, right? Advocating for uh, themes of life, themes of justice. And so um, Mario will be on with me in the last two segments of the program to talk about the work of the Washington State Catholic Conference and also to draw attention to the Cornerstone Conference that's coming up at the end of October. Uh, the Cornerstone Conference is something they've done for over, I don't know, maybe 15 years, it's been a lot of years. Uh, I remember it way back when, when they first started it. I believe the first one was in Tacoma, and they would have sort of big name speakers come in and keynotes and workshops over a few days. And um, uh, it's still going, it's still going. And so, Uh, Mario's here to kind of like explore with me some of the aspects of that conference, some of the speakers and themes, and some of the special highlights. Uh, I don't want to give it all away, but it's a really cool interview. I know you're going to, you'll be blessed by it. And remember what I just said, you'll be blessed by it. Um, And I know you'll smile because you'll get it if you stick around in the program and you listen to the the interview. Um, So I'll get to that. Before I do that, though, I've got some questions to ask. Here are my questions. What non-Christian author has had the biggest impact on your spiritual life? What non-Christian author has had the biggest impact on your spiritual life? What about what about what non-Catholic Christian author has impacted your spiritual life the most? What non-Catholic Christian author has impacted your life the most? What ancient Catholic writer— has had the biggest impact, what modern writers have, whose life, what saint's life has impacted you the most? I'm not sure I'll get to these questions today, but what Vatican II teachings have impacted your life the most? I've got several pages of that. (laughs) So I'm excited to dive into these and share some of these thoughts with you um, and get you thinking about these things as well, because um, We do get influenced. And uh, one of the things you'll discover is that um, some of these choices I made were because of the teachers that I had, those who handed on to me the blessings of what they themselves received. So let's start with the first one. What non Christian author has had the biggest impact on your life? And I'll say it's a Jewish author, it's a Jewish rabbi. Uh, His name is Abraham Heschel. And if you've been around, the history of Sound Insight, the history of this program, uh, going all the way back to 2003, um, you will have heard me mention Abraham Heschel. And the book that has had the biggest impact is Who is Man? Who is Man? Which was a series of essays he gave at Stanford, I believe it was in 1963, so even before I was born, maybe in 1964. But uh, they were collected together in a small book, 117 pages, um, Who is Man? Uh, and, but there have definitely been other books, um, bigger uh, collections of, of, well, bigger, um, larger books like Man's Search for God, God in Search of Man, sort of a philosophy and theology books. Um, he has a two-volume book, a set of books on the prophets, his book on the Sabbath. Those are some examples but I want to focus in on who is man, uh, and the reason I do is twofold. The first is I'm going to read a quote from it because it, it highlights a theme that is so central to my life, and you'll understand an influence, but it was in the same course where I studied that book, Who is Man? It was one of the assigned books, uh, that I also was introduced to St. John Paul II's book, The Acting Person. And so that was uh, another book that we had to read, and we went through in detail in this course. The course was called The Human Person, and it was taught by the priest, the Father Mark Noonan, who was a philosophy professor, and later my spiritual director, and a holy priest of God. And say a prayer for him, because I think about the way that he, in fact, has impacted my life, and it's hard to put a measure on it. It's hard to really measure how um, one person can impact another, but he so deeply impacted me, not only because he introduced me to Abraham Heschel, not only because he introduced me to the um, uh, how to understand John Paul II's theology and philosophy of the person, which is more foundational than his theology of the body. Did you hear that? Uh, but he also, and so I learned both of those things in that course, um, but he also taught a course on St. Bonaventure. And so what a rarity that, and I mentioned that in my, uh, my Sound Insight program about a month ago where I focused on, um, not even a month ago, St. Bonaventure and his writings, and I would not have ever read St. Bonaventure had it not been for Father Noonan and his class, and I took the class. I took the class not because it was studying Bonaventure. I took the class because it was taught by Father Noonan, and his way of teaching was so beautiful. His words were so like meaningful. I, I remember a time when we went to, oh, well, I went to um, uh, spiritual direction with him, and so I would drive down to the seminary where he was still teaching, and and functioning as a spiritual director. And, and I would go to spiritual direction with him, and he would normally invite me to pray to start off the prayer, to start off the session. And this one time, I said, well, Father, why don't you pray? And he prayed this very, very succinct prayer. And it was uh, something like, this is, a, again, a paraphrase, you know, Father, I ask that you would grant Tom and grant us both an attentiveness to your word, that we would be discerning what it is you are saying to us, and that you give us the grace to respond. Amen. And it was a simple prayer, but when he said it, it just sort of like mapped out for me like an entire way of understanding how God communicates to us. And in fact, when I mentioned that to Father Noonan, he broke it all out so simply and cleanly and profoundly that the way we like hear from God and move from hearing into action, is by being attentive, discerning, interpreting what God wants us to do, and then taking action. So it's attend, discern, interpret, and respond. And I can't tell you how much that has just impacted my entire life when it comes to understanding being a disciple, reading the scriptures, evangelizing, and so many other things that are just part and parcel of living as a disciple of Jesus. All because I invited him to pray at the beginning of a spiritual direction session. Wow. Back in a minute with more Sound Insight. Welcome back to Sound Insight. This is Tom Curran. And today I'm reflecting on some questions. And uh, I'm still on the first question, which is, which non-Catholic Christian author, not non-Christian author impacted me the most? And I said Abraham Heschel. And I mentioned that the only reason I even discovered Abraham Heschel is because of Father Mark Noonan, my philosophy professor. And I just want you to hear that for a moment, because we—I know we can kind of play sort of um, like uh, like Bible bingo with regards to our spiritual life, and just kind of go and pick out what's the best-selling book or new release or whatever. But it's so important to have good teachers. It's so important to have trustworthy teachers who shape and mold you by what you read. It it forms in some foundational ways how you see the life of faith, and the authors I'm going to talk about today, these are all authors that have shaped and molded how I approach my entire life, and my entire life of faith. And Abraham Heschel is one of them. I've read, I still have the copy of the book that I bought back in 1984. 1984, 1985, 1984 or five. And um, I have gone through that book so many times and just reflected and reflected on it. Just and just say, well, well Tom, what's so profound about this? Well, one of the things had to do with just understanding like how we come to reflect on things, how we come to know things. And so here's one quote from Who is Man? He said, there are two primary ways in which we relate ourselves to the world that surrounds us. Manipulation and appreciation. In the first way, we see in what surrounds us things to be handled, forces to be managed, objects to be put to use. In the second way, we see in what surrounds us things to be acknowledged understood, valued, or admired. And just that, uh, that concept, and he breaks it open in these, again, really poetic, insightful, profound um, essays that um, it, it talks about fundamentally how do we stand in relationship to the world? Do we try to control it and dominate it? Or do we stand, stand contemplatively present to it and allow it to unfold and appreciate it. You think about that with regards to your kids, your wife, your, your work situation, your finances, your whole life, your, your life of faith, God, all of these things. Do we stand apart and look objectively or do we stand contemplatively and allow ourselves to be drawn in and allow it to unfold? Do we analyze, do we appreciate? So interesting, this, this fundamental distinction. Okay, the second is a quote um, that, again, remember, this was a course on the human person. And this is in that course where I first encountered St. John Paul II's message that each and every person, and that means you, brothers and sisters, each of you, is a gift, is created by God in a way that is unique, irreplaceable, unrepeatable, precious, with a dignity and a destiny that this world can't touch and knowing that gift quality, sensing it, seeing it, appreciating it, uh, affirming it, building it up, acknowledging it, right? All of these beautiful things um, are found not only in John Paul II's writings, but found in a very beautiful way in this book, Who is Man? And it's something I've used at conferences and through the years at talks. I'll read this. And so um, it's a very, 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 very slightly edited um, version to make it a little more condensed, from Abraham Heschel's Who is Man. Here it is. Looking upon myself from the perspective of society, or thinking comparatively, I'm an average person. Facing myself intimately, immediately, I regard myself as unique, as exceedingly precious, not to be exchanged for anything else. I would not like my existence to be a total waste, an utter absurdity. It is through the awareness that I'm not only an everybody, that I evolve as a self, as somebody, as a person, as something that cannot be repeated, something for which there is no duplicate, no substitute. I'm exceedingly noteworthy, exceedingly relevant to myself. And it is this notability of my existence that becomes elusive when looked upon from the outside. From the perspective of society. In other words, although my singularity is a matter of personal certainty to me, it looks like a conceit from the perspective of statistics or human resource administration. From inside myself, my notability is obvious. From the outside, it seems opaque, if not absurd. In the eyes of the world, I repeat, I am an average man, But to my heart, I am not an average man. To my heart, I am of great importance. The challenge I face is how to actualize, how to concretize the quiet eminence of my being. Beyond all agony and anxiety lies the most important ingredient of self-reflection, the preciousness of my own existence. To my own heart, my existence is unique, unprecedented, priceless, exceedingly precious, and I resist the thought of gambling away its meaning. That's Abraham Heschel in *Who Is Man* again, slightly edited, but not profound. Do, do you hear the echoes? Do you hear the the commonality of of the themes that are also part of Saint John Paul II's? Um, philosophy and theology of the human person as gift. And I got to tell you, just the more that I would reflect on writings like this, the more that those truths would be sown into not just my heart and my soul, but into my awareness, into how I see you, how I see the people that are around me, that each of us has this, like, Quality of preciousness and irreplaceability and irrepeatability. But the temptation is that we lose and squander that awareness, and we just end up thinking that you're just an average person. What's so special about you? You're just lost in a crowd. And I got to tell you, these are the things that impact, like how I see, for instance, God breaking into our lives as an event the reading of scripture is an event where god breaks through our ordinary awareness our mundane way of seeing things and he cracks us open and says no i see you i'm approaching you i'm drawing you forth right so this is this is like my motto and, and when i was running the nonprofit organization right uh, my catholic faith ministries it was uh, mark 3:3 3, 3, rise and come forward rise and come forward which is what Jesus said to the man with the withered hand in the synagogue right how many Catholics were going to the church in living a withered hand existence living an existence that says I just have to live with this withered hand existence not expecting that the Lord can do anything about it or maybe believing in Conceptually, that the Lord has the power to do something about it, but I'm pretty much lost in the crowd. God has bigger fish to fry. There's so many other things that God can be doing with his time. Well, if I have this withered hand, I guess this is what he wants for me. And Jesus calls him right out of the crowd, right out of the crowd, and says to him, Rise and come forward, rise and stand literally in the middle. That's what the scripture says, is come and stand right in the middle of everybody else. And that's a striking thing, right? To just to be asked to stand in the middle. And um, when I think about that, I think about the reality that too many of us Catholics grew up in a life of faith that was just basically about following the rules, do your duty. Go to Mass on Sunday, follow the commandments, confess when you don't, and try hard. And when that doesn't really work, try harder. Instead of, wait a minute, no, the Lord is hes personally addressing you and calling you forward. So these are some of the sources of the emphases that are part of my own life of faith. It's like, where did this come from? Well, this came from precisely that place where I was— blessed to study with Father Mark Noonan, who introduced me to this non-Christian author that has had the biggest impact on my spiritual life, Abraham Heschel. The book is called, again, Who is Man? There's an updated version that was actually edited by his daughter to take away the gender uh, language of he and him. I I like the original, so get the original version. Uh, Okay, the second what non-Catholic Christian author has impacted you the most? And I was trying to think about it, and I'm like, oh, wait a minute. This is actually pretty obvious. C.S. Lewis. And I bet many of the listeners would probably say the same thing. A Christian author, not a Catholic author, that has impacted your life? I'm guessing C.S. Lewis has done a really, really, really good job of taking that top spot, or one of the top spots. And I begin to think... Well, what book has impacted me the most? And I'm like, too many. I wrote down too many books. And so here, I'll just kind of list off some of the books, some of the books that C.S. Lewis wrote that impacted me. The Great Divorce, Mere Christianity, Screw Tape Letters, Problem of Pain, Four Love, Surprised by Joy, Weight of Glory, uh, The Business of Heaven, God in a Dock, God in the Dock, A Grief Observed, Space Trilogy, Chronicles of Narnia, Abolition of Man, Miracles, The World's Last Night, and other essays, Letters to Malcolm, and Reflections on the Psalms. And then I just stopped. (laughs) I'm like, I'm just going to stop. And I'm like, oh my goodness, how has he impacted me? And the funny thing is, is if I thought, how has he impacted me the most, it may have been in one of his um, fiction books. I've mentioned it before, Perilandra, uh, the second book in the space trilogy has had such a profound impact on my life, with his description of innocence and sin and temptation, as well as his vision of heaven at the end, is really at the end, close to the end, is really just like wow, it's it's an epiphany. Uh, but C.S. Lewis, with so many of his writings, brings such clarity to. The concreteness of how to think like a, a follower of Jesus, a Christian, and how to live like a follower of Jesus, live like a Christian and whether it I, I actually like his books of essays like God in the Dock, um, uh, The World's Last Night and other essays um, and I actually like the, um, the the daily reader called the Business of Heaven. And um, it just it, it, because it touches so many of his other works. But I just want to give one example of a very short essay that had a very big impact. It's called Meditation in a Toolshed. And in it, he talks about being in a dark tool shed that has a crack in the boards. And there's a, a ray of light from the sun that comes bursting through. And he talks about the difference between what it's like to stand and look at the beam of light and to look along the beam of light. He says if you look at the beam of light, you can see where does it enter in. You can see the angle that it takes. You can see the spot that it leaves where it hits the other wall or the floor, right? And so you can track the entire trajectory of this beam of light. Um, Or, he said, you can shift your perspective. You can actually shift and move and put your eyeball into the beam of light And now all of a sudden, you're not looking at it, you're looking along it. And in looking along it, you get to actually see, if you squint the other eye, you can actually see out of the tool shed and you can see outside because you get to see through the crack because of the, the light that's provided. And he then talks about this basic, basic as in foundational distinction between ways of believing And he talks about the sociological position of looking at versus the believer's experience of looking along. And this distinction is one that I've used apologetically, used in apologetics to bring out two different kinds of knowing. The first kind of knowing, the sociological one, the one of looking at the beam of light, is a kind of objective scientific approach. And as you know, we live in an age where science holds sway. And if, uh, if there's a scientific source provided for a particular piece of information, then it's accepted as credible and, and correct and certain. There's a kind of certainty to it in the popular mind. As compared to the experience of individuals who, ha- who are immersing themselves in the reality that's being looked at, and somehow their more subjective experience is considered of no value or of lesser value or only of value insofar as it corroborates what the scientific perspective brings. And for me, that is a great sadness because it gets us on the wrong footing when we talk about believing in the Lord, believing in Jesus. And I would painfully watch conversations happen online where the scientific folks would ask the believers questions from their sociological stand-apart looking, looking at perspective. And these struggling believers would try to translate their looking along the beam, their immersive knowledge, into terms that these other guys would just slice and dice to pieces until I stepped in the room, (laughs) and I would talk to them, and the first thing I would say to them is, look, uh, let's acknowledge that you are taking a particular approach to the concept of knowledge. This is a philosophical branch called epistemology, and your approach to what knowledge is has certain rules, certain methods, certain procedures, and those are definitely acceptable, and we should agree to them. But let's also acknowledge that there's another source of knowing. There's another type of knowledge. And that other type of knowledge actually relies upon and looks to a different source of knowing. And that is through immersion. And so when I would bring that up, and so um, what that looks like is different. And, and the, the analogy that I would use would be things like, oh, it's the Olympics, right? So the Olympics would be a good example right? So you can have, um, in the Olympics, divers. And so the divers are diving. And then you can have um, a sociologist who studies divers, right, standing on the sidelines. And what they can do is watch how divers train. They can follow a diver's approach, climbing up to the diving board. They can then um, watch the diver dive and all the movements they do. And then afterwards when they come out of the water, interview them on the experience of diving. And then they can write a wonderful paper, a research paper, describing these common elements among all the divers about the different stages and different aspects of what a dive is like, and even record the various experiences of hitting the water and, and spinning and all these other different things. But the difference between, and is that real knowledge? It is, it's absolutely, it's a scientific approach to knowing. And it's not a bad thing, but it can be refined. You can interview more people. You can study from different angles. You can, and so doubt is the, is one of the keys to proceeding towards a greater knowledge. And that certainty is not something that's ever final. You always have to have room for doubt so that you can continue to refine and come up with better methods of studying and observing, hypothesizing and testing, and then coming up with your solution that's a scientific approach to knowledge. But when it comes to faith, it's a very different thing. It's like the diver. The one thing about the sociologist of divers has never done is actually dive into the water. So that, that scientist, because of their objectivity, actually lacks the experience, lacks the immersion, lacks the experience of actually diving in. And our faith in God is a more of a personal knowledge, a personal immersion into a relationship. And that The knowing that is involved there comes from trust. Trust is a very different thing than doubt. That's what faith is. Faith is our tool, if you will, that allows us to be able to grow in our own experience of knowing God. So where did I get that from? I got that from C.S. Lewis, Meditation and a Toolshed. He put it so simply in just a few pages And it has been so impactful on my own life of faith. So I want to encourage you to think about these authors that have had a big impact on your life and be able to um, lean on them and use them and share them with others. All right, God bless your day. Well, and welcome to the program, Mario Villanueva. He is the executive director of the Washington State Catholic Conference. Hey, Mario, how's it going today?
1: Hi, uh, I'm blessed. How about yourself?
0: Oh, I like that answer. Okay, who who taught you to, to give that answer? Because I love when you I hear me? folks say that answer. Oh, like, how are you? you? And you say, I'm fine, I'm well, I'm tired, I'm busy. But to say I'm blessed immediately like, puts it right into the context of faith and God. So yeah. who taught you that?
1: Well, you know, it's an interesting question. A friend of mine taught me that who uh, African-American man who was not Catholic, but uh, I did ministry with uh, music and, um, you know, we were young men at the time in our 20s and he would always say that. He would, his name was Prince and he would always say, yeah, I'm blessed. Would, How you doing Prince? I'm blessed. And uh, that's where I learned it. And that was many years ago.
0: <laughs> so are there days when you're like, Lord, really? This is a blessing. Am I am I really
1: blessed? Do you ever do you ever wonder about that? Oh, of course, of course. Yeah, I mean, pay attention to your surroundings. And some days are not that great. You know, it's a challenge. And and you know, the blessing comes from the fact that we trust God, right? So He's immovable. He's He's constant. He's He's immortal. He's He's eternal. And uh, so as long as you, as long as we focus on Him, of course, we're blessed because He is where the blessing comes from.
0: Amen. Well, and I think one of the beautiful things is that when we get blessed. It, it's a very natural outflow to wanna to be a blessing. And, and I think that's probably a beautiful way of describing the work of the Washington State Catholic Conference. If I just had to use that very language, um, you're the executive director overseeing this advocacy arm that you bring together the bishops of the state of Washington right. in a very important work. Um, give me a way that that you've seen the WSCC being a blessing in, in recent months. Yeah,
1: you know, uh, Of course, I think, in my opinion, we see that every day. Uh, Some of the matters that we attend to are not, you know, um, matters that are popular or that all Catholics agree with. But what we do try to focus on is, you know, the the matters in policy and legislation that uh, have a connection to Catholic teaching. So, you know, whether it be the environment or respect life or things like, you know, death penalty or assisted suicide or Catholic schools or Catholic healthcare. Where I see the blessing coming is that uh, really our job is, is is fairly straightforward. We don't, the WCC does not promote its own policies or, or opinions. We look to the teaching of our church, to the teaching and leading of our bishops uh, invariably. So how can I say We've been a blessing, Um, you know, I think one instance was, for example, Hospital 1141 last year was focused on expanding assisted suicide in Washington. And through our advocacy work, our newsletter, which um, Adrian Joyce on our staff promotes and does, um, we were able to reach out and get responses from about 1500 Catholics who called in and wrote in to their uh, legislators, who were of influence on this bill, and there was a, a large swell of response of folks being opposed to expanding uh, access to, to to assisted suicide. That that that, that is just one, um, and, and and there are many other instances. We we do policy and legislation, but also special projects like Cornerstone. Uh, it's a lot of work, and and we are at it, and we love it. Uh, but you know, it's really a call. Uh, the 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 theme is forming disciples for life and justice. And so that can conjure up, you know, there are some in our church who are very tuned into life matters and some that are very tuned into justice matters. So how do we bring our church together uh, to advocate along the spectrum of things that our church cares about and that our teaching talks about?
0: I'm talking today with uh, Mario Villanueva the executive director of the Washington state Catholic conference, uh, Mario, your website um, says, what we do is give, we, um, we are a voice to the voiceless. Mm. I just love that to promote the dignity of every human being.
1: Yeah.
0: And I know that in order to do that, to be a voice for the voiceless, you have to form disciples so that we know how to do that. Right. How do how do we actually become disciples that know right. how to stand for the gospel of life? How do we, How do we become disciples that that are missionary disciples that bring justice into our communities, salt, light, and leaven, right? Right. Those are just such powerful, powerful themes. So you've done the Cornerstone Conference, Cornerstone Catholic Conference now for for a number of years. And um, uh, I'd love to know, just can you remember like a favorite speaker, a favorite happening, a favorite event that really impacted you?
1: Yeah. Thank you for the question. You know, actually, um, my starting with the WCC was in September of 2019. So that there was a cornerstone conference that, that October, that was actually the first conference that I'd I'd ever gone to. I'd, I'd heard of it. I was attracted to it. I wanted to come to it in, in the different previous conferences and, um, and, and wasn't able to until I became director, but I think, but I think, um, just the, you know, as I heard about it, uh, just the thought of it, you know, bringing Catholics together in a way to celebrate our faith and in a way to look at how can we grow um, as, as, as advocates and as Catholics and as people who are willing to, to live our lives out in a way that is meaningful and, and, and is demonstrated, uh, you know, by those who can see how our lives are lived out. I was just always attracted to that. And so to be part of this now uh, leading on it for the bishops and trying to do our best to put together a good conference that meets the interests of so many Catholics across the spectrum of interests. Uh, to me, that's that's exciting. And and uh, you know, I think I think we all know that our church, you know, around the world is facing so many challenges. And and day to day, you know, the bishops are faced with a myriad of challenges. And they're not simple and uh, things are uncovered, you know, day to day that continue to be challenges. So I think God calls his church, not simply to stand by and say, gosh, I hope, those, I hope those bishops and the Pope figure it out. You know, no, 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 we, you know, we're called to grow and to learn and to be advocates ourselves and to be to be out there living our faith in, in, in our personal lives, of course, but also in the public square. The church calls us to do that. And so to, to be equipped, informed, and have our consciences formed to be better, better advocates in that way, I think is, is part of the call of the conference and of the WSCC.
0: You know, uh, Mario, one of the things that's different about this year's conference is that it's all virtual, which makes it uh, accessible. And not only is it virtual, but it's Offered free of charge. Okay, folks, I want you to hear that again out loud. It's a free conference that you can access wherever you are. Now it's happening on uh, on Saturday, October the 30th. And so Um, It's accessible wherever you are at home. If you can get access to the internet, you can get onto their online platform. You can register. I know they're encouraging watch parties. You get together with some other folks. And I know that's one of the real great blessings of conferences is that you hear very motivating speakers and then you want to be able to talk about it with people. And so I love that idea. So first of all, that is amazing that you all are pressing forward with the conference and to be able to make sure it can happen everyone can join online for free. That's a beautiful gift. How did you guys like come to that decision to say this is how we have to do this?
1: Yeah. So the planning on this has been for for over a year and as COVID-19 set in and everybody adjusted, you know, with work and virtual, you know, meetings and doing work from home and so on and so forth. We 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 did the same thing. And so because of that, <clears throat> we had to think about the safety of people and, you know, what 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 could we do with Cornerstone? It appeared, it appeared at the time over a year ago, you know, that that um, doing something in person was not going to be likely. So we actually started attending different conferences, the Respect Life National Conference and so on, other meetings, just to see how that was done. And uh, it looked like it was doable. It's not as good as being in person, but it, it, it appeared that that conferences that, had, that uh, could be done well and that had, had good content and that were meaningful to the people that were attending, uh, that, that, that that was possible virtually. So, um, you know, we had to make a decision, you know, back late last year to go ahead and go virtual. So we did, you know, the bishops were supportive of that. And so, um, Everything has been kind of leaning into that. Now, Now, with vaccinations being where they're at, like in Washington, I heard today officially that we reached the 70, 70 or actually nationally, uh, we reached the 70% um, goal that the current administration had. Uh, you know, that notwithstanding, uh, there is some mobility now. Churches are opening up. There's mass. Uh, folks are, you know, vaccinated, to sit in vaccinated sections. Some folks who are not so... Uh, ready to get close to folks are still in distanced and massed up sections and so on and so forth um, but uh, and that's when we we thought well you know watch parties uh, watch parties would be good and actually the bishops were were pretty supportive of that month months ago and so um, doing a mix and and the logistics and the you know the the technical kind of details of this have been have been have been sizable uh, you know uh, all the presentations are are gonna be recorded. So we have to kind of make sure that the dynamics for that and the technical piece for that is done correctly. Uh, there are gonna be live Q and A sessions, but they're gonna vary in how they function for workshops, for uh, main presenters, for the bishops. There'll be different ways that that can be pulled off. The platform that we're using is um, on a platform called OnAir. And so we, we, took it a, we took it for a spin before we actually committed to uh, to the virtual platform. And so we were able to kind of go through and see how it functioned, how you got in and out of sessions and we think it's gonna work well. Uh, and so, so um, yeah, that's, that's kind of the background on, on the virtual. Um, and, and we're doing a few things that are a little different. Uh, we're having a little more music. We have two guest um, musicians who are Catholic and who do sizable ministry in their own, in their own rights. Um, Pedro Rubalcaba, who's with OCP, uh, is, is a, a dynamic presenter and teacher and musician who's gonna do music in English primarily. And then Mar- Martin Malverde, who's uh, he's originally from Costa Rica, uh, has done many albums and presentations and workshops and videos. And uh, he lives, currently lives in Mexico, uh, but an international uh, uh, performer, uh, very popular with the Latino population in Washington and so we're bringing him in for some musical presentations. Uh, and, and then speaking of the Spanish, we're trying to really augment and grow that piece uh, to, to, to be a little, a little more robust and you know, people who speak Spanish are, would be able, primarily, would be able to engage that way. And so just trying to expand a little bit on that and, and give people a little bit more variety and, and things that might cause their interest and invite them, invite them to come. Um, you know, you mentioned the 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 free nature of it. So so for folks that are listening, please, you know, it's gonna be a dynamic uh, agenda, um, good presentations all the way around in terms of our main presenters, uh, the bishops panel, Uh, we're gonna have a session where there'll be a ministry uh, workshop presentation where folks talk about what they do uh, and how to to do it and how that can lead to advocacy. So we wanna keep that connection. And and, you know, there's going to be a holy hour on Friday night in Spanish and um, some very good uh, orientations that people want to want to kind of go through a test run on on air and figure out how to use that ahead of time. You know, they'll be able to do that. And so we think we've got a good lineup and uh, an exciting, exciting conference.
0: So Again, that's Mario Villanueva joining me today in Sound Insight. He's the executive director of the Washington State Catholic Conference. And I want to give you the website to go register. It's W A Catholics.org, WA, as in Washington, WA Catholics, that's an S at the end, dot ORG, WA Catholics.org. I'll give that out again at the end of the interview. Um, Mario, as you uh, think about the challenges that we're facing right now and this idea of promoting the dignity of every human being, How important do you think having these inspiring teachers and voices, being able to access the bishops on a panel to be able to get them to share their insights, how much of a, um, just to call that word a blessing again, mm-hmm. um, have you found it for people in past conferences? You mentioned in 2019, you came out of that one and uh, taking on this role. I know that the speakers that you've had from the past have had powerful impacts on helping move people. Because sometimes, right. you know, and, and we go to events and we hear things and we take away just information. But I see you've got Monsignor Ray East coming. Right. That priest knows how to move people you have father spitzer coming he knows how to move people and so i just think that um one of the things that i don't know how intentional you were about designing this but you've got some high powered movers that you have lined up for the Cornerstone Conference coming up on October the 30th. This is Saturday. It's free of charge. WACatholics.org to register. Was that part of the design, Mario? Well,
1: you know, I've got to give Adrian a lot of credit for pulling together a very good team uh, folks that were advisors on putting together the agenda. They're from across the state, um, from the different dioceses. And so, you know, I think with their involvement and wisdom, of course, a lot of prayer, you know, praying about what to do, uh, you know? Father Spitzer uh, bringing uh, him in. Uh, his his workshop is c- called "A Case for the Inalienable Rights of the Preborn." If that doesn't draw your attention, I don't know what does. You know, Gloria Purvis is another speaker who's nationally known, and uh, d- does her own podcast now. Her her title is "What Do the Racial Justice and Pro Life Movements Have in Common?" So again, trying to bring that ju- that that unity, you know. Too many times I think we can see that folks focus on one thing or the other, almost to the exclusion of of the entirety of church teaching. And of course, you know, this conference encourages us to look broad, broadly. And yes, you can have your area of interest, but but there are others who are your brothers and sisters that move in other areas. Um, Gloria, Brenda Noriega, she has a presentation uh, in Spanish. It's called Amaras al Projimo Como a Ti Mismo. So you you love your neighbor as yourself, but who is your neighbor? So you know that's kind of that's kind of the uh, title of her uh, of her theme. Um, uh, Father Agustino Torres, who's a dynamic Franciscan priest who was from Texas but he now he does a lot of ministry around the, around the country and based in, in uh, back east. Uh, he, his title is, Catholicism and colonialism, the truth and the teachings of the churches. So Catholic, Catholicism and colonialism, the truth about the teachings of the church against slavery. So so, you know the the wisdom of the team that Adrian was put together uh, to advise on the to advise on the on the uh, conference and and you know the collective kind of prayer. Uh, you know, what we want to do is serve the people of God. What we want to do is be be present and timely in the information that goes out and the teaching that goes out. And with the empowering of the Holy Spirit, you know, on that to give folks uh, encouragement and to give folks a sense of being inspired to go back to their homes and their parishes and where they live and where they work and breathe and do God's work as Catholics.
0: Amen to that. That's Mario Villanueva, who's joined me today on Sound Insight, the executive director of the Washington State Catholic Conference. Their important work. You can join. You can get involved yourself. You can become an advocate by going to wacatholics.org. And just click on that link to be an advocate. A couple of links down from there, you'll see the Cornerstone 2021 conference coming up on Saturday, October the 30th. Thank you so much, Mario, for taking time to be with me today on Sound Insight.
1: Tom, thank you so much and, and God bless you all.